Hey everyone, this is Alan Schimmel and welcome to another episode of CISO Talk. Uh, for those of you who are not familiar, CISO Talk's a bi-weekly video show where we spend, I don't know, 40, 45 minutes diving into a specific area of security that we find interesting. We, we have some regulars on the show and then we have sort of a rotating panel of, of stars. Let me introduce you to our regulars first and then we're gonna introduce you to our stars. Uh, can't get any more regular than this guy. He's my co-host. He's the CISO for Unisys, Matt Newfield. Hey, Matt, welcome. Thank you so much, Alan. It's a pleasure to be here. Yep. Joining Matt and I is our, is our usual uh, sidekick, well, more than sidekick, but another co-host, Mitchell Ashley, who is CEO founder of Accelerated Strategies Group. Mitchell, welcome. Thank you much. Excited about our panel today. I am too. Joining us, and he's also become sort of a card-carrying regular at this point, is, is our friend Julian Waits. Julian is general manager of cyber at uh, Devo. And, and Julian, you know what? Give him a little bit of your background. Sure. Uh, as you said, I'm general manager for cyber and public sector at Devo. Um, I'm also the chairman of ICMCP, the International Consortium of Minority Cybersecurity Professionals, as we'll, based on the topic that we're talking today about diversity and cyber. And, uh, and I'm a budding, you know, jazz musician who wishes I could play my saxophone better. <laughs> well, for those of you who've looked at past episodes, Julian always has a saxophone in the back, but he's not—he's not, he's not usual. Episode back. to play it for us. Yeah, we're day, gonna have, that'll be another episode. Yes, Mitchell <laughs> will play guitar. Julian will play sax, and Matt, you and I'll listen. Let me introduce you to our <laughs> stars for t of today's panel, though. Um, First, we're going to introduce uh, Olivia Rose. Olivia, a little bit about yourself. Hi. Hi, everybody. I'm really glad to be here, and I love speaking about this topic. Uh, a little bit of background about me. I've been in this field for a long time, for about 18 years, and I love security, and I don't think I could ever do anything else. Uh, I'm most recently, the CISO uh, over at MailChimp, a global marketing platform. I think most of us are familiar with MailChimp, and that's, that's a big responsibility at MailChimp. Um, next, we're going to go to our friend Larry Whiteside. Larry, if you wouldn't mind a little bit about yourself. Sure, sure. So uh, Larry Whiteside, uh, I've been in this industry for longer than I care to count, because then that will tell my age versus the lines in my face. Um, and so uh, I am uh, the CTO of an organization called CyberClan, but most importantly, I am the uh, co-founder and president of ICMCP, the, the organization that Julian mentioned. So uh, that's why I, I love talking about diversity. It is literally besides cyber and my family, it is literally my, the number one passion for me um, uh, on a daily basis. I think you're gonna love this panel then. And then last but not least, we have Heather Rasudio. And Heather, if I mispronounce your last name, I apologize. I'm gonna give you a chance to talk a little bit about yourself. Sure. It's Heather Ricciuto, and I am a long-term IBMer. In fact, I'm what we call a lifer. And um, what I do at IBM these days is lead academic outreach for IBM security, which essentially means that I evangelize the need for cybersecurity skills around the world. And um, I also am heavily involved in women's diversity initiatives at IBM, specifically in the area, or most particularly in the area of cybersecurity. Um, so for example, we're a proud sponsor of ICMCP. Um, that's just one of the many things that we get involved with. Great. 
you know, I can't think of a better panel. Our associate producer, producer Jody, actually helped put this together with Heather Rock, and, and what a great, what a great panel to discuss. As many of you have mentioned, today's topic is diversity in the security space. We were talking a little bit off camera, and and I, you know, I, I don't want to sound a mission accomplished. I don't want a mission accomplished moment here, but we have made progress. We have made progress in this industry in, in diversity from where we were, let's say in 2003 or 2004, where I think frankly, if a woman showed up at a cyber conference, you know, she had to really kind of mind her P's and Q's and it, it wasn't pretty in a lot of ways. And, and it was somewhat demeaning. And, and quite frankly, people of color, you know, it was, uh, you just didn't see people of color other than maybe South Asians, Southeast Asians, right? Um, and, and, and that's changed. And I think a lot of it's changed because some of the people on our panel, but there's still a long way to go. There's still a very, very long way to go. And, and that's just cybersecurity, right? I think when we look at the broader IT spectrum, there's a lot of work that needs to be done there as well. Now, there's a lot of reasons for this, right? Larry, I know you have strong feelings on what some of those are. I do. So take so, it away, man, and we'll go from there. So something we have to think about. So a, a lot of the dialogue that we have around the lack of diversity in the field of cybersecurity, people are like, we've got to do more to get people into the field. We've got to, do, we've got to offer more opportunity. We've got to try and hire more diversity. But a large part of the reality is we've got to educate better about the field of cybersecurity, right? So, and when I say that, it's not about making cybersecurity a, a bigger curriculum. It's about going into middle schools, going into high schools in underserved and underprivileged areas to let them know that this is a career field that exists that they can go into and be successful. It's a career field that exists out, them, uh, out there for them to explore. A large part of the reason that we don't have the diversity that we hope for, especially when it comes to minorities, is because there's a lack of understanding or knowing that this field even exists, right? If we look today from where we were 10 years ago, right? So I started this a dialogue a little earlier. If you think back 10 years from that, 10 years ago, and think about high school graduates that were graduating high school at, at, that, at 18, how many people... Because you, a lot of times you go into career fields that you see and know about or have experience about through your network. So if you think about underserved communities, 10 years ago, how many of them had a network of people, right? Because social media didn't exist, right? So how many of them had a network of people that they could see and mimic that they, in cybersecurity? There, there was very few. So they didn't know coming out of high school. So now th those people are hitting their late 20s to early 30s. And we're wondering, well, why are they not in cybersecurity? They knew about IT, right? So there, there are some, some of them that went into IT and then later after going into IT started transitioning to cyber. But at that age of 18, they just didn't know about it. And so we've got to do a better job back there, right? Do we also have to do a better job here, right? Meaning here today, do a better job recruiting more diversely? Do we have to do a better job uh, of looking outside the, the walls or looking outside our normal processes of recruiting? Yes. Do we have to do a better job building better job descriptions that are gonna be more 
open, right? A lot of people don't think if you put college degree is required on a, on a job application, I mean, on a uh, job description for a role, you have automatically discluded a large percentage of diverse candidates because it, the likelihood that people coming from underserved communities is going to college is here compared to their white counterparts, right? So you've automatically excluded a number of people. If you put, right, one to three years experience required for this entry-level role, you've just excluded a large percentage of diverse candidates because the likelihood of a woman or a minority getting an internship to get that year, that year of experience that you need based on that job description is here compared to their counterparts that's here, right? And so we've got to start holistically thinking better about these different aspects of how we build and write job descriptions of what we do to educate youth at a younger age that not about not necessarily about the technical details of the field but that the field exists and allow them to start creating the mental uh, uh, muscles that they need right of analytical thinking to be successful as they move forward and get older and start having to get into the specific technical skills that are needed for this field it's those things that we have to start putting some focus on and building in order to make the long-term change happen better. But today, the right now is more about recruiting differently, right? It's more about writing job descriptions differently and doing things so that we are thinking outside the box of how we get better diverse talent in. You know, I think, Larry, you bring up really amazing points. And it's, from, from my personal experience, I've hired a lot of people and I always focus on hiring minorities and I've been very successful in that standpoint because I, I think it's important to do everything that you mentioned but it's also important to focus on anybody can learn anything. When I started in 2002 in this field I was a marketing in marketing for ISS <laughs> so and I very quickly learned how to be a consultant and I moved into security consulting you can learn anything. Uh, you can teach anybody anything. So I always look for people who are what I call bright-eyed and bushy-tailed. They're excited. They're thrilled about it. They didn't even go to college. I don't care. I don't care if you went to college or not. I graduated, but that's because I'm, I was lucky. I was fortunate to go. Um, but do I think that puts me ahead of anybody else? No, it doesn't. So I always look for certain traits in people where I can teach them. And you know, it take three to six months and they turn into rock stars. And, and I think a huge problem we have that I think we don't talk about at all out there is once you have minorities and you have women and in these roles at companies, how do we nurture them so they feel part of the company and the culture and they feel respected and they don't leave? And I have seen and experienced myself uh, more times than I can count. The, the, it's not antagonism, it's this underlying current of, did they get the role because of X, Y, Z? Or did she get promoted because of X, Y, Z? And it's just simple, it, it should be just a simple, something simple as, she's in a role of a CISO. I've worked my tail off <laughs> to be in that role of a CISO. And, but I always find with the from speaking from a woman's perspective, every woman I know in this industry constantly has to address and overcome these preconceived notions about how they got that role. And it's just like- And how they're perceived. 
right? I mean, I was talking to one of my directs today and, you know, she was being very direct with a group of people and she was, she and I were talking about it. And I, I even said to her, um, do you think you would have gotten the same, I would have gotten the same response if I had said the exact same thing that you did? And the answer is no, no, it would have probably been, you know, Matt really knows what he wants and, you know, he's really direct. And for her, it's like, why are you being so aggressive? And it's, but you know, Matt, not to cut you off. Nope. I think Olivia, Larry touched on it. Olivia hit it right up front. A lot of it is not people trying to be malicious. It's really unconscious bias. Uh, it's, it's the way we were all raised, right? So I'll give a perfect story. You know, I was a CEO of a company called Fred Track. At the time, we had like 500 employees, uh, you know, in downtown Clearwater. And Right after I took the job, one of the guys who was a very close friend of mine who worked in the company, we were out having beers down the street one night. And he says, you know, Julian, you talk black and female, but you, you, you hire white. And, uh, and this is a white guy from North Carolina with a very heavy drawl. If you talk to him, you would swear he carries a Confederate flag around everywhere. Uh, but one of my closest friends. And the point he was making to me was, is look at our hiring practice. Yeah, and this is right when we were starting, actually, Larry, when we were starting ICMCP. He was like, you are the CEO of a company of 500 employees, and we still go to all the Ivy League schools to do our recruiting. We do all these things. But where are you really reaching down? And, of course, I was upset at first because I'm a black guy, and I just got accused of, of basically being a racist with hiring people. Anti I don't know what they call it. Reverse racism. I don't know what it is. But it hit hard. And the next day, I got with him. And we met for two hours. And then I went back to the company the following, because that was a Friday. And the following Monday, I met with my uh, human resources folks. And I said, I don't want to change what we're doing for recruiting other than we need to become how we recruit. I don't want to stop going to the best schools. But here's some schools and some other things that we need to add to the mix of things as we're looking at people. We started looking at how could we anomalize uh, resumes more to the point where we didn't take away somebody's skill sets but we didn't allow someone's name or school that they went to also put them in a barrel of they're less than someone else. Um, with ICMCP, when we started, as Larry knows, it was very important to us to have white people on our board uh, specifically for this issue. Uh, one of the things I tell people all the time when I speak is I said, look, before we start this discussion, I don't want anybody in the room feeling bad because they're a white guy. You were born that way and that's fine. What I want you to feel bad about is if you weren't aware of these issues, and I want you to do something about it when we leave the room. Mm -hmm. I like that. I think I think you hit it right on the head, Larry, and that is, it's not an HR problem. It's not a people aren't applying to our job posting problem. It's a leadership problem. I, I believe that leaders don't know how to hire for diversity, other than to ask HR to go find me more diverse candidates. <laughs> And to look at the pool of candidates we have to say, uh, is there some diversity in it? You're right about it that. Not, you know, we, it is not a HR problem. It is a leadership problem. Well, and I, I'm going to say, I'm going to disagree with you a little bit. I'm going to let you finish your point, but I'm going to disagree with you and I'll tell you why. Okay, right? good. I definitely want to hear, hear your perspective on it too. And, and I don't mean that HR isn't part of the problem, but the divert, when we talk about diversity training, although at least what I've received is not really helping managers understanding how to what you were talking about, Larry, about what are the ways to write a job description? How many people we discriminate against when we put 
a certain college degree. We always overstate educational credentials, I think. <laughs> I think credentials, background. It's ridiculous. It's a unicorn problem. We're like, we want this right. person. Well, they don't exist no matter what, what, what diversity exactly. or not. And I'm not going to pay them. No, we need the unicorn right. that's free. Yeah, that's free. Right. It's, it's cheap. So I get my point is, is I love what, what Julian you said about going out and, and being part of the outreach, being part of the um, let's go find and help those people find us, you know, wh whatever communities we can reach out into. And I say that I'm sure there's a million ways I've could have done this better myself as a hiring manager, but it, it is a it is a leadership problem. That's my point. Yeah, so, so, so sorry, I'm, please not, jump I'm in going there. to disagree with. So I, I'll put two points. So so yes, it's a leadership problem, but HR is also a part of the problem. And when I say HR is a part of the problem, right? Because you did say it, it. You said it's not an HR problem, but you then you said HR is a part of it. So it's a leadership problem from the standpoint. I agree because leaders aren't taking an active role in driving HR, right? Mm -hmm. Because what they do is they say, "Hey, I need a role." Um, HR, uh, I want somebody diverse, and then they expect HR to just do it. They expect <laughs> that HR knows how, has the processes, right? They are the talent management people. They are, right, the human resource people. They are the one that is going to help understand, right, this whole people problem thing, because that's what they do. So, yes, there's a leadership problem because the leaders don't lean forward and get actively involved in making the change and forcing HR down the path that they need them to go. But HR is also a problem because HR has not chosen to get out of their own way and operate differently, right? I've had, so I took over the role of the president of ICMCP at the beginning of February, January 31st to be exact, right? And so at that board meeting, when I raised my hand to do it, I knew that there was gonna be a lot of conversations that I needed to have. So one of those conversations I started having was with hiring companies. And as I began asking them about what are they doing to hire diversely, all of them have said, well, we're doing what we've always done. We go out there and we post our resumes. We post the jobs out there. And we pull resumes from, you know, Dyson and, and Indeed and blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, so, so what is your expectation? If you're doing things the same, how are you expecting different results? Well, we sort of think that by doing that, that we'll, because we want that HR is going to then weed out and find the diverse candidates that are in there and present them to us. That's what the hiring managers honestly think. And that's what's not happening because there are a couple of things that get in the way. So let's be clear. Cybersecurity gets paid well. And on the scale of technology jobs, IT is here, cyber is about here. And so because of that, when HR is looking at salary bands, because most Fortune 2000 companies have some sort of salary band that they grade mm -hmm. everybody at, when they say, oh, this job is going to make $100,000 a year, oh, here are the requirements that must go with that job. So if, if we as leaders aren't going in to talk with HR and say, hey, HR, we're unicorns, and I say that jokingly, but I believe it, right, in cybersecurity that we are unicorns. We're unicorns, so you can't grade us the same as you grade everybody else. That that 100K band, you can't put the same requirements on that as you, but because I can have a senior SOC analyst or mid-level SOC analyst who makes 100K, but you're not going to have an IT analyst who's, who's going to be making that same amount of money, even though if they're tiered as as right at, at the same. And so it's got to be this balance. But leaders, to your point, have to lean forward. They have to recognize 
when we go in to, to be a CISO, when you go in to be a leader in an organization, you have to take some ownership in certain things. And one of those is how you staff and helping to drive and educate HR of how to build better requirements to meet your needs as it relates to getting diverse uh, candidates in. You have to also educate, Larry. I mean, let's be honest, we have to self-educate. We have to, you know, going to your diversity meetings and those are all very important, but we have to self-educate, we have to talk. I think the biggest thing I get from this, and, and Heather, I, I really wanna go to you in a second because of some of the stuff you and I've done in the past and I've watched you do, but it, the conversation's not happening. And I think a lot of people in this industry, a lot of people in general become very defensive. You know, yep. they'll ask a question like, well, I don't do that. Well, nobody's accusing you of doing anything, but right. you know, one of the things that I didn't know is how would I ever know this until just a few years ago, a, a colleague of mine said, one of the differences between men and women is some, a man may look at a job and go, I could do that even without experience where she was telling me that a, a lot of times a woman may look at that same job with the same qualifications and go, well, I don't meet every one of those things. Therefore, I'm not even going to apply. And that at the time was mind blowing to me, but I could have been very defensive and said, well, that's just crazy talk. I have a lot of women who work for me instead of us sitting down going, we're gonna rewrite these descriptions so that that problem goes away. Tell me when the problem goes away. Heather, You've experienced this. I know you do a lot with Cyber for Girls. I, what are your thoughts on this? Yeah, no, I, well, I mean, first of all, I wanna say, I mean, I agree with so many of the points that have, that have been made. And I think that an underlying point here is that there isn't a single answer to, you know, or a single action that can be taken to build a more diverse and inclusive workforce. It takes all these, all different types of initiatives Many of which have been have been mentioned tonight, um, and but Matt, to your to your point, I agree with you 100% uh, on the on the point of women not applying to jobs because they they feel that they have to have 90 or 100% of the requirements that are listed in the in the job posting. And so, going back to the point of education, education, educating people about cybersecurity isn't you know that that's not the only requirement there's a requirement to educate underrepresented populations on how to get into cybersecurity and one of those right. things is exactly that that um, you know we need to make women aware that guess what you don't actually have to have 100% of the requirements um, under your belt before you apply for for a job and we and you know experienced folks like us in the industry i believe we have an obligation to help them understand that they they do have the they do have the skills. Um, so take for I'll just use an example the example of veterans. Veterans often struggle with how to translate. You know they want to transition into a field like cybersecurity as they move out of the military. But guess what? They we we uh, in the industry we we see how they have relatable skills that are you know perfect for working in cybersecurity. Not the least of which is ethics, right? Um, and, or, and I guess that's not a skill, that's more of a characteristic, but um, they often need help from folks in the industry to 
work through how to translate the the skills they've developed in their military service to to uh, you know applying those to required skills in in cybersecurity and that i mean that's just one small example um and then you know that we've talked a lot about uh, kind of about speaking up and that i just want to say that i think when we witness um behavior that is not conducive to building a diverse and inclusive workforce that we all have to be upstanders not bystanders so uh, so for example yeah. when i see you know when i attend a conference or even you know i'm, I'm at the point in, in my life where i i kind of um say what's on my mind because i figure i have nothing to lose at this point and you know when i see a panel that's full of white men also i am not afraid to speak up and say where are the women and likewise you know larry you might stand up and say wait a minute where why aren't there any black men on this panel or any black women or you know any women of color etc cetera, etc cetera. we've got to stand up and say why why does everybody look the same because that's not what the, the world isn't made up of people who look the same couldn't agree more. And I got to be honest, we also, as a white male, have to stand up and say, ah, this is ridiculous. We, we, we have to change the, the scope. And since you brought it up, you know, I, I, I love Larry and Julie and the organization you, you, you are, uh, have founded and run to help the minority community for veterans. There is Hiring for Heroes, for example. There are organizations out there to help, but we in these leadership roles really need to to help people get into the proper mindset. You know, one of the things I loved, Olivia, about you talk about marketing, that, that's where you came from. I, I'm a trained psychologist. That's what I would plan to be when I grew up until I realized I don't like listening to people. And Larry and I used to talk <laughs> years ago that it's probably not the career for me. But I think that's the other point is, I think a lot of people on that education feel like if I did not study cyber, which did not exist when we were in school, right. high school, middle school, or university, if I wasn't a technologist, I cannot be successful. And, and you all have said it, but what we need to get out there is I care about two things about an individual in an interview, your passion and that piece of your anatomy that sits between the back of your skull and your eyeballs. That's it. If you show me passion, you ask good questions, I show, you show me that you have done a little bit of research about the topic, about me maybe, about my organization, about the job description, you ask good questions, I don't want experts, right? A experts you still have to train and sometimes they're harder to train because you're undoing this. Uh, yes, so preach. Because of the timing here and, and Alan, real quick, and I know we, we we could talk about this all day. I, I love this passion. So I guess the questions, we all understand this is a problem. We all understand it's gotten better, but let's be honest, 20% if, you know, minority right now in cybersecurity, depending on what analysis, 11% female in the industry. To me, we have a long way to go. And we have a long, yes, way, a long way to go to change perception, to get rid of the stupid, stupid stereotypes, you have to be a math wizard to be in cybersecurity. We're all cyber. When's the last time you had to do algebraic equations? I'm the master of PowerPoint Excel. <laughs> I mean, let's be honest, right, in speaking. So what do we do? Well, so, so, go ahead. Go ahead. 
no, sorry, were you addressing that to, to, to Larry? Yeah, yeah. No, it's just everybody. It's anybody. So, so, so for me, I, I'm going to use a, a couple of things, right? So, so you brought up the point of leaning forward, right? So, so your our white male counterparts who make up a large part of this industry leaning forward, right? So I use this analogy a lot because I think it begins to resonate with people. If you think about the March on Selma, if you think about the Black Lives Matter marches that happened earlier this year, it took a rainbow coalition of people, not just the people impacted by the event, but the rainbow coalition of people to stand up together and mm -hmm. all say, this is a problem. Yeah. That's what it takes now. It takes not just minorities and women standing up saying this is a problem. It takes the collective of all of us together standing up and saying this is a problem. That's number one. Because once we do that, once you see more people, right, that aren't being impacted by the problem, also leaning forward because they recognize it's a problem, then holistic change begins to happen, right? So that's the first step. A second, and there are a million steps that can go behind that, but for me, I think that is the first step that has to happen in order for this to really take effect. Because if it's just minorities and women, right, standing up, saying that this is a problem, it will, it will sit and fester and it'll fester because it'll still be, you'll still have the unconscious bias and you'll have people saying, they're just complaining. Look at the numbers. I see, I see them everywhere I go, right? So look, look. As an example of that, just real quick, I'm, I'm sorry to interject here, but I, it's, it's interesting. That came to light, it proved itself a few weeks ago. I posted something, what I thought was innocuous, just basically saying on LinkedIn, basically saying, if somebody has a job, please, you know, stop questioning whether they deserve that job. Give them a fair chance. Treat, treat everybody equally. Talking about women and minorities. And I received so many emails on LinkedIn from people I didn't even know. Women, especially black, black women saying, thank you. Thank you. Because they were so upset that a few months before all these companies were saying, we're going to change things. Black lives matter. And we're going to put all our efforts and all our money into this millions of dollars and we're going to change things and they were frustrated because nothing happened and they needed people to stand up for them and say things like that on linkedin so even little things like that where you just that you can do every day which takes no time at all means a lot to a lot of people a lot more than company just companies just saying they're going to do something Hi, you know, oh, sorry. Oh, go ahead, Alan. You go first. Heather. No, no, you go, Heather. Heather. Okay, all right. Heather. Listen, I was what I was going to say is that um, I think that I'm I'm personally tired of talking about the problems, mm -hmm. and I think we need to just focus on the solutions. And we all, you know, folks like us who are so passionate about this topic, just need to get out there and keep doing the work that we do, and get in front of people and help you know, bring other role models along with us. So for example, one of the things that, I, that we've been doing a, a lot of when we work with um, our Cyber Day for Girls program is we bring, we, we call on our early professionals to come talk to the girls, right? So in other words, we use a near to peer kind of uh, format because the girls can relate to them. We were talking a little earlier about how, you know, societal role models that, that we all saw in front of us as, as kids do were doctors, lawyers, dentists, 
police officers. Well, it's the same today. The, the kids today have the same societal role models. There's nobody walking around with a cape saying, I'm a cybersecurity professional, or, you know, I fight cybercrime. But wouldn't it be great if there, if there were, because then all, all of a sudden those role models would be in front of the kids. We have to help get them in front, uh, in front of kids in order to build awareness. And by the way, frankly, it's not just kids. We have to build awareness amongst people of, of all ages because a big part of the problem is the adults in the kids' lives who don't know enough about cybersecurity in order right. to talk about cybersecurity intelligently enough to help kids understand the, the plethora of opportunities that there are in, the, in this industry. And that, as you said, Matt, guess what? You don't have to be a math whiz. You don't even have to have a computer science degree necessarily. Some of us do. I'm not one of them. <laughs> but, um, well, it's, I love that. So one of the things that I've done is I've actually gone into churches to do cyber safety, right? And so I get a bunch of parents who come in for cyber safety because they have kids, right, uh, uh, who, are, who are online and on their phones and everything. And I spend about 15 minutes giving them a cyber safety course, right, and just helping them understand things that they can do as a parent. But then I flip it to educate them about, hey, Right? Did you know about this career field of cybersecurity? Right? Have you ever spoken to your kids about it? Did you know that this is something? And I go into that, and you would be amazed at how in these in these underserved communities, how few parents know about the field of cybersecurity because they are, in most cases, blue collar professionals. Right? Yeah, they are blue collar professionals working in areas where they don't don't come across that type of thing, so they don't know. Only about know it from movies. Well, right. the, the other thing is, the dude in the hoodie. But the, the other piece of that, can you guys hear me? Oh yeah, yeah. yes, yeah. The other thing that uh, Larry knows is, is, I go back to the point you made earlier, and Heather was making it as well, is it's all about awareness, right? It's not just awareness on the part of the of the group of people that we're after, but it's also awareness on the part of the people who can do something about it. It's both sides of the equation you have to think of. Even in today's environment, now that you know some universities are starting to offer cyber programs and stuff, most people still don't start their IT career thinking they're going to end up in cybersecurity. It sounds like none of us on this conference call started that way. I was a jazz performance major in college and a religion minor, and uh, and I, you know, and I went into IT, and then because I'm old enough, I was one of the first people to go from the information security to cybersecurity. <laughs> switch right i was there in the in the early 2000s where you know back in mainframe days we didn't worry about security too much it was all enclosed in one thing but the more we wanted to get data as to many places as possible to do business faster and to react faster and the internet was never designed to be secure in the first place uh right. it just got more and more porous and and then the problem began and i happened to be there at the beginning but i go back to something my father said to me and of course he didn't create it it's hard to be it if you can't see it and so one of the things that's most important to us with ICMCP is to make sure as as uh, as kind of fathers in doing this, I'll use that term, Larry, you know, the way we started, it was actually Devin Bryan who who had the ideal. He's now the CISO at MUFG. Devin called me one day and he says, hey, I want to meet with you and I'll meet with you in Tampa where you live. He says, but we got to do something about the makeup in the meetings that we're in. In my case, I'm an entrepreneur who, who went into cyber. Well, I'm a cyber guy who became an entrepreneur. There are very few black CEOs in cybersecurity. I mean, at the time, people that you knew, there was maybe three, I think. 
And and so when Devin came to me, he says, look, I'm experiencing the same thing in corporate America and we need to do something for women too. But Julian, we got to change the makeup of these rooms and I need access to your Rolodex to get started. And she'd be nice if you'd write a check to help too. And so, so I had to, yeah, I had to put my money where my uh, mouth was because I kept talking about it. And then, uh, and then I had to get the, the passion in action. But the key thing that I tell uh, a lot of these young people and women when I meet them is it's not just about getting mentors who look like me. When I started my career in New Orleans in IT, all of my mentors were white because there was nobody black in our department. There, was, there, were, there were very few women. And so it was white guys who said, gee, I think this kid's pretty smart. I think he can add more value. Let me not just help him with his technical skills, but also his soft skills so he can learn what it means to work in corporate America. And I think as that is my history, I think that's what helps a lot of people is just reaching down or reaching over, I shouldn't say down, to help other people become aware of what it is. Because once they see it and they know it, it, it opens up a door for tons of possibilities. I think we yep. should continue this. And I will throw one thing in there and, and I'll hand it back to you, Alan. One of the things that- I'm ready to stop yet, man. We got, we, got, we got more time. One sec. One of the things that we should also do for ourselves, mentoring people that don't look like us is a good thing. Absolutely. But getting a mentor for ourselves that does not look like us is game changing. I promise everybody watching this, my mentors do not look like me. And what I have learned has helped me tremendously in my career, in my personal life, my friendships. Uh, it's just it's been eye-opening. I agree a thousand percent. So there you go. Alan, I'll hand it to you. So let me, let me um, you know, Larry, you got, we started off with you getting real, real. I'm, I'm, I want to kind of finish it off with me getting real, real. So if you can't tell, I'm a white male. Hello, my name is Alan. But um, <laughs> here's the thing. You know, Julian, I'm, I'm closer to your age than any, well, Mitchell's my age too. Heather, you're not as old as you think you are. Um, <laughs> you know, but I was there also, Julian, in the early 2000s and the 1990s as well. And I, you know, I have a, a background as well on this. But it's very hard as a white male. It's one thing to be sensitive. It's a thing, you know, something to be sensitive to the glass ceiling and, and to women. It's a thing to be sensitive for people of color, right? when you live in a white dominated world and, and you know, you're the one or two person in the room. It's one thing to be sensitive. It's another thing to walk a mile in their shoes. And I think that when we talk about leadership and we talk about you know, why it takes leadership, there's a lot of people who, who's, who's, and I'm sorry on the Zoom video, I just might be going slower, but there's a lot of people whose lips flap and they have the best of intentions but they haven't walked a mile in those shoes. Exactly. And until you walk a mile in those shoes, it's really hard to understand. You know, when you're black or a woman and you walk into a job interview, there's no hiding it. You, you know what I'm saying? I'm Jewish, right? If people look at my face, they know I'm Jewish, but well, you are too, Olivia, but you know what I mean? But I, I, could, I could pass, right? Black man can't pass, a woman can't pass. And, and in, so as sensitive as we, as we want to be, until, until that day is over, where when you walk into an interview, Olivia or Heather, 
And the man interviewing you doesn't look first at how you're dressed and how short your skirt is or what your legs look like and your hair or whatever. Or, or you walk into a room, Larry, and they say, oh my God, this is a big black guy. I'm intimidated or whatever, right? Until that, until that day's over, this is going to be an issue that we keep talking about and talking about and talking about. And if we don't recognize that as truth, you're all kidding yourselves. Exactly. You're all kidding yourselves. You know what? That's, that's what we got to hit on. Alan, one of the things to think about also, we also need to scream louder that when we are part of diverse teams, when we work in environments that facilitate this, where everybody's passionate, nobody's self-serving, nobody's worried about, well, you know, you're telling me, and, and Julian, I love the way you said it, you know, you're telling me I should feel bad because of the way I was born, which is never the case for anybody here. Right. You should be talking about the success. Diverse teams, end of story, do better. They do better. Diversity of thought, background, color, creed, sexual preference, all of it makes a better organization, makes a better team, uh, no matter how you think about it, and makes better lifelong friends. And we need to start screaming those successes because those people that are in organizations in leadership positions that are not on board, that can't get out of their own way and have that really unfortunate um, viewpoints, they're going to start seeing other organizations that think better grow and be more successful. And, and that's, that I think is going to be key as well, hopefully. Yeah. All right. I want to bring up one, one company I've run into, and it's not in the cyberspace, they're in the development space. Develop, but these people help HR companies recruit developers. They come out of Singapore. And if any of you have been familiar, Julian, you've been around the world. If you've ever been to Singapore, it's truly a multiracial, very, uh, I mean, female entrepreneurs. And I mean, it's, they do a good job in Singapore, is the they bottom did. line. But, but this is a company that comes out of Singapore. They've recently also now opened up in London. And, and this is a concept, if we can figure out the cyber equivalent to it, I think it's great. You got a job, oftentimes for developers, part of the job application is you got to submit some code. They give you a problem, write right. some code on it, right? And even the people looking at the code know that it's a guy named Larry Whiteside Jr. or a woman named Heather who submitted the code and already they have notions in their head, right? These people just make it blind. You, you, it, it, it's machine graded code. And it tells you who the best, if, if you're saying you're hiring a candidate to do this kind of code or you know this kind of skill, it tells you who wrote the best code. And you don't know who that person is, whether it's a man or a woman or a black person or a white person or a Southeast Asian person or what have you. It just tells you who wrote the best code. Well, what can we do to take, unfortunately, to take the humans out of it a little bit and get to who has who has the best who's the best qualified for this? Who, well, that's who happening. Well, so the only, well, go ahead, Larry. I'm sorry, but so so there's some of that happening, right? So there's some of that where they are utilizing cyber ranges, right, to create testing mechanisms for uh, candidates that they want to bring on board in technical roles. But the thing you have to understand is our field is so broad that 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 works well for technical roles, 
but it doesn't work well for these non-technical roles, right? Additionally, we aren't taking the we aren't completely taking the 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 other uh, uh, characteristics out. We're utilizing that as a factor, right? So those organizations I know doing it are utilizing that as a as an additional factor, but they aren't taking the other characteristics out. And so yeah. it's it's a challenge. And if you don't yeah, fix the rest of it, you're not going to keep them. You may get them in the door yeah. that way, but you're not going to keep them. If the unconscious yeah. bias is still there or any of the other yeah. things this panelist talked about is still there, they will come in the door excited. They will be on the out the door 90 days later. Absolutely. Well, hey, bias is is this, another factor. Yeah. Well, what I would tell you, though, is, is even the test <laughs> itself in the way it's laid out also has bias built into it. Sure. They, and, and I know of organizations that have tried this. The issue that you run into, so so in Singapore, it's a lot easier, even though it's it's a very diverse environment. You have three primary Asian cultures and white people. <laughs> and uh, and math and science is very important in that environment. And so using a test is kind of a way of normalizing things there in that fashion. The issue you have with cybersecurity, especially if you're looking for people who are, who are new to the field or more entry level, it's how do you construct a test that tells me what they can learn, not necessarily what, what they know. What they know, yes. That's the issue. It doesn't help with the two things we care about, the passion, right? And, and or the big thing that it, yeah. those tests tend to fail in that, especially in our world. And, and you know, with Larry and I, what we used to do when we worked together, it was all about that passion, that ability to right. dig and dig and dig. And you remember those we, nights, yep. we would be there all night. Nights. We had to yep. be because we wanted to be. And the joke was who was gonna drink the largest big bowl, right? Because <laughs> we, it was it was work all night because we wanted to be there. We wanted to be together. We wanted all to do this thing. It's passion and learn, so. This and then it goes to Larry's point earlier that uh, it, you need to be around people that do this so you can mimic and, and see that it's possible for yourself. And, it, it, and so you can get recommended by your network. And that's why organizations like ICMCP, they're so critical because they, they have that network for minorities who can refer jobs to them. And, and, but again, if, you, if you're from an environment where you don't have the ability to form those relationships or see that people like you, look like you with these types of roles, then it's a lot harder for you to get your career started in this field. But it goes back to what Larry said at the beginning, it's education. Yeah, got to know it exists. Heather, I interrupted you. I'm oh, no, because I, I just thought it's uh, something you said, Olivia, just made me think of something. You know, I think that because of the pandemic, with everybody working from home, we actually have so many opportunities in front of us right now. I agree. And one of them is reaching, you know, diverse communities, remote communities, underrepresented communities. Uh, uh, you know, of course, there is one qualifier, and that is that they're that they have reliable internet access which is a whole other conversation um because there is we know that we have a digital divide but that that issue aside we can reach people right now remotely through technology that we might not oh you know otherwise have the opportunity to reach in a face-to-face -face environment so i think we need to take advantage of, of of that right now yeah instead of you taking an entire day to speak to one school, you could do 10 schools in a day. Yep. Right. Alan. I got to yeah. cut it, guys, because we're way over time. I will mention that there are many high schools with cybersecurity programs now, including one right here by my house. But that being said, 
rather than going around the room and thanking you and, and last comments, here's what I would like to leave our audience with. Larry, what's the website for your organization? Thank you. It's uh, www.icmcp.org. Okay. So check that out. Sounds great. Have at it. Heather, I know you're running, was it Cyber for Girls? Is that the name of it? Yes, Cyber Day for Girls. And if people want to learn more about Cyber Day for Girls, go to IBM, dub, 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 of course, ibm.org. Oh, awesome. Yep. Olivia, I would mention to you, and I'll mention it too. I have a good friend, Chenzi Wang. Chenzi was a, a VP oh, yeah. versus a CISO. I think she's been on our show before, many of our shows over the years. Chenzi runs a great women CISO group that Olivia, you, I, I'll make an introduction. Um, she's now, and Chenzi started her own women-run venture firm called yeah. Rain Capital. Yep. She's and, no longer uh, at Splunk? No. No, she left a while ago. Oh, yeah. She, no. started, a, she started a VC, a, a little venture firm herself that she's running. She, she, got, good, she got some good back for her. Yeah. I'm really happy. Rain Capital and Chenzi's great. Should have been great to have on this panel. Actually, I'm doing a women's CISO panel with Chenzi and the Jody, our associate producers, putting that together. But anyway, guys and gals, men, women, thank you so much for giving us a really great discussion. We could probably go on for another two hours here and not even scratch, but there's 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 something to it. Take it in, look at it. We'll be back in another uh, two weeks for another CISO talk. We'll announce the, the uh, sessions. But thank you very much, everyone. Mitchell is always, Matt is always, my co-host. Thank you. Julian. One more time, we got to get you in here. All right. This is Jimmel for CISO Talk. Take care, everyone. Thanks. Thanks, everybody. Good night. Bye. Good night. Bye.